Love Life, featuring your hosts, Rebecca Detman and Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. Welcome to Love Life. I'm Rebecca Detman. And I'm Jane Donovan. And we are touching on a topic today that we haven't yet covered. We do have an email here that prompted it, but we've got lots of good stuff that we do want to offer on this topic. So the email that we got said that... Um, I'd so absolutely would love for you to do a topic on people who've suffered or are still dealing with trauma or traumatic life circumstance. And this is a good one. It, like the, the the girl says in the email, whether you've actually had a long-running traumatic event that might have happened in past years or whether you just once upon a time had a one-off really painful memory. And, you know, we're looking at the whole spectrum. It might be something as terrible as sexual abuse or bullying right through to you know, maybe you were dumped by your first love and you never quite got over it or you had a bad sexual experience or um, you once lost a really good friend and now you have trouble trusting people. Whatever the pain is for you, I think you'll find that the messages and the tools and techniques that Jane and I are going to offer today um, are going to be the same no matter what the intensity, no matter what the degree of the trauma. Yes. There's so much to talk about on this topic that for me, I think I want to start with my own personal experience where the most traumatic experience I had in my life was actually the greatest gift I've had in my life. And so often I feel, you know, that there is balance in the universe. There absolutely is yin and yang. And so as low as you will fall, the balance will be given as well within the experience. But you've got to find it. That's that's often the challenge. So my personal story was that um, my youngest daughter, when she was three years old, went to bed completely healthy and woke up like she had cerebral palsy. And at first we were told that she'd had a stroke. Then we were told she had a brain tumor. Then we were told they thought it might be a brain tumor in the brain stem and a bit nasty and so on until she ended up uh, being diagnosed with um, a non-viral infection throughout her white brain matter. So it was very, very serious and she was uh, in ICU for 10 days and. Uh, was very touch and go so we did think we were losing her um the other thing of course no parent wants to hear is when the children's hospital says ah, we actually have only ever seen this once before 50 years ago and none of the current staff have ever actually seen this you don't really want to be one of those house cases where you've got all the neurologists there with the whiteboard crossing everything off wow so it was very and look i, I didn't mean to go into the drama of this story for people to go oh my god horror horror but it was for you to, to understand that it really was incredibly traumatic for me. So how did we recover from that? That's what I really want to talk about today is how did I move forward from that process? Well, the first thing I do, which I'm not really that proud to do, to share, but I will share, was that my husband and I learned to drink alcohol. And that's that's not at all. <laughs> Beck's looking at me, guys. That is not a recommended tool or technique. Okay, now the reason I'm sharing this is that I am a huge fan of people doing whatever you have to do to get through what you've got to get through. So what happened was that each evening we were fine through the day, everything was beautiful with our little girl when we came home from hospital. And um, but every night I was terrified to put her to bed because the illness had appeared overnight with no signs prior. And so I was not sleeping at night because I was just wanting to constantly wake her up and check her and make sure that she was okay. So hence, 
I was having a few wines to really kind of numb out and relax and just get myself to sleep. So I think that is not a medicine that I endorse, but it is certainly not a behavior that I judge because it works. What happened though, of course, that you get to a point where you realize this isn't working. This is not the way to deal with it. And so we both stopped that. But what I did have to do was have a really good, long, hard look at my life. And it actually didn't take very long for me post-hospital to come to the realization that I was in the wrong job. I wasn't respecting and honoring this beautiful child the way that I could be. And so I quit the job. I changed working hours. I made my whole world much more about a focus about my beautiful children. But at the same time, I actually had a a gift within this of a healing moment with my daughter that I actually believe she was divinely healed, where I had the true mother-daughter divine connection. And it was, you know, three o'clock in the morning and we were playing a silly little game in the hospital. And the connection was so divine that I believed that if I had to say goodbye to her, that was going to be my moment that I would remember forever and hold in my heart. Now, in hindsight, I look back and I realized what had happened on a soul level was that she'd actually come into this lifetime and she was expecting a particular type of mother that she'd selected. But the reality was that she actually didn't get that mother. I wasn't the mother I was perhaps meant to have been. And so she was, she was checking out. Her root chakra had closed. We had to go under quite a lot of pediatric care for the root chakra to be reopened as well as spiritual care. Uh, for the next few years to help her heal. Um, and it was actually when in that moment when we had that connection that I believe her little soul went, hang on, this is the mum I, I signed up for. She is here. And so she chose to stay in that moment and hence that was when it was actually the next day that the paediatrician said actually, you know, we've been she'd been doing her overseas contact research and she knew how to treat the cause, uh, the symptoms, but then I knew how to treat the cause. And so from that moment, I learnt about the true divine spiritual pathway. Now, the thing is that Jane got the gift of that, what that, that painful lesson was all about, really quite quickly. I did get it really and quickly, but it was, but for me, won't. it was a sledgehammer. It was a sledgehammer. You know, that was the sledgehammer. And it might have hurt. <laughs> it hurt like crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I actually think that the trauma of that, uh, well, it, it took several years before I could tell the story without crying. Yeah. And now I tell it with no tears whatsoever. And that's not from being cold or anything. That's that it is such a gift. The experience was so amazing that while I wouldn't want that for my little girl to go through, I am grateful that I went through that incredible experience because I'm a different person as a result. Mm. So some of you may have had trauma and you still are completely in the dark about what the gift could have been. What possible good could that have come out of that what was that even for it might have happened four decades ago and you still just don't know but I, I would suggest that the very fact that you may be ready to inquire a little bit about it maybe through this different lens you know because you might have go back and listen to our victim story episode like you know you could have been playing that victim thing for a long time where it felt good to either push it down and suppress it and or say this was done to me perpetrator victim etc which is a worthy fine and valid response but not when left for too long, and then go and reference our forgiveness podcast. <laughs> um, you know, these states that we hold for too long where we actually start to become the keeper of our own jail cell, and, and the trauma 
The trauma may have only been lived once, maybe for half an hour, maybe it was for two and a half minutes, and yet you relive it over and 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 over again in your mind every day for the rest of your life, unless you stop that broken record. And the problem with this is that the the body actually knows no difference between imagination and reality. So if you are thinking it or you're reliving it, you actually are reliving it. So the trauma that you're putting through your body on a cellular level is having you go through the toxic experience time and time and time again. So the neuropathways within your mind are being connected stronger and stronger, stronger on this memory till you could actually be reliving this exact same trauma every single day. So you're not going to heal from it. And it also puts the victim, sorry, it's, it puts the perpetrator in a bit of a different light when they might have just done something, like I said, a short time back, a long time ago. You're the one that's now absolutely berating, torturing, beating up yourself. You've become your own victim and you've become the perpetrator in this instance here. You're actually kind of turned into the bad guy because you're abusing your inner child over and over and over by forcing yourself to relive something, which if you really break it down and boil it down to the now moment, is not true and you're perfectly safe. We're just sitting here right now. We're all breathing. We're all okay. Nothing's happening, you know? So what do you think are some of the best tools to actually get through I think there's a couple of stages here. I think we need to look at when you're right in that, Yeah, you know, you've just, maybe you've just come out of the trauma, the, the actual the, scenario is done, you're in the thick but of your body is still very much feeling the vibration of the experience. What can you do at that point to try and take the edge off of the sting, to try and help you to be more highly functioning? Well, I really um, like what Jane was saying before when she was talking about how she reached for the alcohol because I think that, look, when you are in the absolute middle of it, you will say and do all kinds of things that you might not even remember. You're actually not yourself at that time usually. No. The body's actually in quite a lot of shock or trauma. You know, like a frightened animal, the deer in the headlights, you're, just, you're not operating on normal cylinders at all. And so when you look back later, it's very important to be very kind to yourself and, and just forgive and, and, and have allowances for anything you may have said or done during that time and say, look, it wasn't me. I don't need to beat myself up about the fact that I X, Y, Z. You yes. know, that kind of thing yes. is very important too. You do what you do to get through it. That is just human, human survival. I mean, if you want to get extreme about this, you can think of stories of people crashed in the Andes, bloody eating each other. And, you know, people do amazing things to sacrifice stuff for their children in time. I'm worried about you. That's twice you've talked about cannibalism <laughs> in the last day. <laughs> she talked about it just before we started recording. What's going on, Meg? Oh, look, <laughs> it's a deep, dark theme of human nature. But, you know, how far people can be pushed when their survival buttons are being pressed, when it That's comes right. right down to primal instincts, how far will you go for yourself or a loved one? People will go very, very far. You look at the stories out of World War II, the concentration camp, some of the things that happened in there. So, and obviously we're not talking quite, maybe quite that extreme. Dream, but what I'm saying but it can is, feel like it. You know, we can't compare trauma. We can't compare trauma. You know, so so my story sounds like an amazing, you know, really tough story. But what about the people? You know, we, we can compare the stories and say, well, what about my beautiful friend who, which I'm going to mention, the Hudson Ma Foundation is a beautiful charity. If you're looking for one to support children with um, uh, life-threatening illnesses that aren't covered off by uh, Cancer and Leukemia Foundation, um, but uh, her, you know, she lost her her son. At 13 months old. You know, I've got my beautiful girl. She's now 12 years old. Yeah. So we, but we can't compare because trauma is trauma and each person has a different capacity to handle it. When you're in pain, 
you're in pain. pain so it doesn't pain. matter. It's human emotion. So the first thing there is that if you're observing somebody else's trauma and you're wanting to support them, don't judge them on what they should or shouldn't be able to handle. Mm. Don't judge them on or, or compare them to yourself. Or how they're reacting. Or if, yeah, if you're going through the trauma, please don't try and let's say it's something that has affected the whole family. And yet other members appear in your family to be handling it better than you. It doesn't matter. This is not a competition. This is about self-love, self-kindness, self-respect, self-nurturing. Mm, it's a great time for compassion. For, as James yes. saying, for yourself and others, you need to be very, very gentle with yourself. And this is where I love the sleep therapy thing. Oh, if you're yes. going through something where literally you're so mentally overwhelmed that you just can't even take anything more, you're just basically opting out, your brain's just glazing over, just crawl into bed yep. and just black out. Just yep. go to sleep. Uh, yes, sleep, absolutely. Sleep it off, sleep through it, stay in bed. For you know, I know that there comes probably a point where being in bed or staying inside for too long tips into depression or other more worrying things. But if it's just for a finite period doing, during a particularly traumatic period of your life, it's fine to cocoon. It really, really is. I also want you to try to reach out to other people. Now, it's actually very hard to reach out because, you know, I had a bit of resentment of there were people that I – really expected to be supporting me and I had in my mind a vision of how I thought that support should look yeah and how are other people to know that unless I articulate it but I didn't and I was you know on my soapbox of internally I didn't really talk about it much but I was quite disappointed that some people didn't appear to be there for me mm. during my time of need yeah. But there were other people that actually surprised me that were, were really stepped up and were able to help. You know, for example, there was um, a friend of my husband's that I said, because um, I'm at the hospital with my child and he's at home with my other child who was who was five and so she was going to bed very early and he's in this house by himself sobbing, yeah. absolutely sobbing every night. And so I said to my um uh, one of his friends, I said, look, can can you go around there and take some dinner around and just sit and keep him company for a night? And he didn't. And I just thought, bugger you. Yeah. You know, so I was a bit bit upset about that. But there were other people that really stepped up and offered. So what I learned from that was that you need to articulate better and select the people that are willing to help and allow them to help, allow them to do what you want. Yes, can you please cook a meal for us because we're not functioning? Yes, can you please do all the clothes washing because we're not functioning? You know, it's those everyday things that need to, you know, my five-year-old was still going to school. So there were, there were, life was going on when you just don't want it to go on. It's a tricky one as well. I remember years and years ago when I was being really badly bullied in my job. And I was young then. I was like 25 and you know, I would tell my mum and dad and my husband and my girlfriends and I would try and get help. But do you know what? At the same time, nobody can ever really understand what you're going through as well. And they kind of offer all that they can, but you're always still left feeling a little bit lonely in the midst of all well, of it. Well, that's what I want people to understand is that that's okay and that's normal. Yeah. Because that other, that's going to, by acknowledging that, it's going to stop you from damaging beautiful friendships because you're expecting from that person something that they're actually incapable of giving Yeah, because it has to come from within. But at the same time, I encourage anyone who's going through a patch of a rough patch or a traumatic patch, do speak to the universe or whatever word sounds right to you. But you know what? Do do your daily call-outs. Maybe, you know, maybe you break your, your day down. You know when you hear about Alcoholics Anonymous and one of their mantras is you just take one day at a time. I know for me personally when I've been in traumatic 
points of my life. Sometimes for me it was 15 minutes at a time. Sometimes it was just let's get to the next minute. Chunk let's, it right let's down. Let's just take some breaths, yeah. okay? It doesn't, you know, let's just get to lunchtime. Let's just get to here and then I'll go to bed, you know? And so, um, oh, it's, what was I saying? Back to the friends. Um, do talk to the universe and ask the universe to come through for you with, okay, universe, I need a tool or a technique, I need a friend or I need something to lift me, I need some help, send me what I need. Tell the universe to bring in the installments and they will find ways to back you up. They're there to help you through those very traumatic times because they understand and they have great compassion for what you're going through. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is crying. Just do it. When you cry, the body releases an endorphin that, or a hormone or chemical, whatever it is that's released. I'm not a doctor, but obviously. But whatever She's a is, love doctor. <laughs> whatever is released in your bloodstream when you cry is more powerful than morphine. So tears are so cleansing. And, I mean, there wouldn't be a person alive that would say, I always feel better after a good cry because the pain is actually re- reduced. It is physically reduced in your body. So get those tears out. Let them come. Don't try and suppress them. And, you know, Western society, we've got such a way about trying to get people to stop crying. Yeah. You know, or or hold it in or be brave. Oh, fuck that. Oh, whoops, sorry. Jane swore. None of you have ever heard that word before and you'll all be very shocked. (laughs) But, you know, in other societies, they should have said that. That's really wrong, isn't it? But I just feel really strong about this. I really have quite a passion about people helping others to suppress their tears. Yeah, I just don't they, get that. They grieve openly in many cultures. You know, they will. It's so healthy. They will cut for themselves us. with stones, and they will wail, and they will cry, and they will wear black, and they will be very public about you know the emotion and the grief. And it, I believe that that would teach the young children in those societies that when a really strong emotion comes through you, you honour it, you release, you yes. let it go, it passes through. And then there's other times for celebrations, for wedding, for joy, and whatever the emotion is, you feel it 110 percent. Because as we know, if you go bottling up big emotions like that. Where, what are you going to do with it? The body's got to store it somewhere. Let's make a tumour. Let's just shove it down there and make a great big tumour. And I see people all the time in my practice who are coming to me in their 40s, 50s, 60s. They have tears from when they were 12 years old they still haven't shed yet. You know? Yes. People hold on to grief forever. Yes. They just, you know, I had a girl the other day whose father had died when she was 13, and she's in her 30s now with children and a husband. And I said, you actually haven't finished grieving him yet. And she started crying straight away. And, you know, she was quite frustrated because she said to me, do you know what? She said, well, I'm actually quite an open person. I'm a, I am happy to be emotional and I do cry when the tears come. She couldn't believe that she hadn't finished though. She was like, when, when does this bottomless well ever end? I say, you know, it's like an onion. There's layers. The minute you clear one level of grief, there's going to be a deeper one. There's, you know, these things can be very complex. So just trust it, surrender to it. When it's there, honor it, pass it through. It will start to get lighter and lighter with each skin that gets, you know, layer that gets peeled off. Now, another tool that I found helpful was actually journaling. So, you can journal your anger. You can journal how um, unfair life is that this is happening to you or has happened to you. But get it out. But at the same time, if you can just – I'm not talking about writing an essay about your life unless you want to do that. But I'm just talking about getting the emotion out on paper of what you're feeling very quickly, a couple of lines. You know, I'm in a hospital. I haven't got much time to be sitting there reading when my daughter was on 20-minute obs. But I did get some lines down, but I also got some gifts in there. You know, in would we would have this beautiful nurse that was sitting there that just stayed in, in her room for her whole entire shift because the, the obs were just constantly happening. And she was so beautiful and kind and hopeful and 
just fantastic and was sharing beautiful stories. So, you know, I just jotted that down. And look, I'd need to go back and read the journal now to really refresh on it all. But I can remember that there was, for every frustration or negative emotion that I had journaled, immediately after I was finding a gift, there were all these little gifts, or whether it was the laughter clowns that came in and helped Zoe to take a medicine or whatever, it didn't matter. But you will find in your trauma that if you're really jotting down a couple of lines of your your negative emotions, you will actually see that there's little sparks of hope in there and those little sparks of hope are going to get closer and closer as time starts to, to travel. And that, of course, brings us into alignment with raising our vibration to a point where we are now coping much better. Yeah. There's one more thing I wanted to talk about, and it's very, very small and very, very simple. It's good for children as well as adults, and it is literally the idea of a touchstone, which is a crystal or a pet rock. But I remember years and years ago when I wasn't even that spiritual and I had to go for a pap smear, and I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> and I just didn't know. You know I was going to be in there all so alone. So invented by a man. <sighs> Feet and stirrups, horrible, horrible, invasion and violating, blah. And I just was very, very physically scared and trembly and felt sick and cold and all of those human fear feelings when you have to go somewhere all on your own. And so what I did before I left was I got a beautiful rose quartz crystal and I kind of charged it. I charged it with all the intentions I wanted, peace, calm, safe, all of those beautiful feelings. And I just, you can tuck it into your bra, you can tuck, you can, I just hold it in my hand and I took it with me. The doctor didn't have a clue, he never knew that I was holding a crystal the whole time through that. And at other, you know, periods of my life, back to when I was being bullied in Sydney, I remember blue tacking a crystal under my desk. It was a little, um, re- repulsive, repelling crystal for negative energies. And I just, you know, you pop them around you, keep them, like I said, tucked in your bra, one in your purse, um, things like that. Just because every time you touch it, it's just like a little reminder, like it's an anchoring, it's a grounding, it's a cleansing. Okay. Back to home, back to my heart, back to to the truth in all of this, you know, just just to keep it beautiful, safe. nice, nice. So Another that, thing I, I just want to touch on too is that when you have experienced trauma, the discipline of continually, well, well the lack of discipline of your your thought process, where you are continually going back to the trauma, when we are constantly dealing in our past, actually leads to depression. Now, when we're constantly dealing in in the forwards, can lead to anxiety. So the secret is to be in the now. But if you find that you're constantly going back, then I would encourage people to have little short uh, fantasies or creating setting scenarios for the future to try and balance the memories of the past. Yeah. Does that make sense? That yin and yang of the past and the future. So if you find that you had trauma five years ago and you're constantly going back to it, then I want you to try and project something five years in the future. Or if it's uh, something that you find has been trauma that's been ongoing a long time, then I want you to just start to fantasize about something beautiful for the future or put something in action that's going to happen in the future. You know, in four weeks' time, we're all going to go on a, on a, on a family holiday to a weekend away or whatever. You know, set something up that's the future that you can then focus on. So as your thoughts disappear to the past, and to the trauma and you start to feel your body getting anxious and, and that foul feeling again, you then take your focus to that future happy place. I also think um, the work of Byron Katie starts to really be very powerful um, at about the stage where you're, you are a few years on from the trauma and it's still haunting you. So she's got um, 
a very, very simple system. Byron Katie, Google her, find her website, find, find her book. It's called The Work. She she was in a highly traumatic place and one day she came, was basically downloaded or enlightened with these three or four, I think it is amazing, amazing questions, which can answer any problem and basically solve every problem. And Can you remember what those questions well, are? I'll try, but it's basically... I can't remember. I've, I, I actually haven't done a lot of work with on her methods but I've had so many friends that have had mm. great results from it's her work. It's quite life-changing and she's just got this little mantra that says judge your neighbor, write it down, ask four questions, turn it around. So it's this idea that you get a pen and paper and you write down all of the horror, all of the yucky, all of the thoughts that you know when I think about this I feel helpless, I feel angry, I feel disgusting, I feel blah blah you know blame, rah rah, you just write down all of the yucky stuff and she just begins to ask people questions like so when you think of these thoughts um, you know Oh, sorry, I've got to get it exactly right. How does she say it? She says, um, so it's the first she asks, is it true? And often the answer is, well, yes, those thoughts are true. Or sometimes it's, well, maybe they're not. She says, can you absolutely know for certain that those thoughts are true? And you might need to actually conceive and say, well, no, I don't know that for certain. And then she'll say, um, can you see any reason to drop the thought? You know, how would your life be different if you didn't have this thought? And then you can list all the thousands of reasons of how you'd be so much more improved if you weren't haunted by all this negative garbage in your head. Um, and she's saying, I'm not asking you to drop the thought, but I'm asking you, can you tell me how you can see it would benefit you if you did? So you kind of go into that, you know, line of, we're going to, we're hot. Jane's coughing. I am. I'm so hot. <laughs> um, <coughs> so sorry. Excuse me. And the turn it around aspect is interesting because then it's, you know, if, if, if you've got something written down, the judge your neighbor aspect. So you, you're judging on, you know, my mother makes me feel this and that, you know, she rah, 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 she always um, tells me that I'm fat or useless or whatever. You actually have to turn it around and you have to say, I tell myself that I'm fat or useless. Or, you know, you actually have to take responsibility for how it's not the external person, the perpetrator, the circumstance that's torturing you. It's back to that aspect that maybe you are. You're, you're the worst, the worst torturer in the equation. I think we might, um, and I do think that's a really important part of the whole trauma thing is to look at what role did you play in this. And let's have a and, spiritual you know, little um, tap off now. And look well, at this. I, I just think my personal story was that what role did I play? I wasn't the mother that I was meant to be. Yeah. So therefore, I actually did create this. Now, it would be much easier for me to be saying, I don't know, you don't ask for your child to get sick. Mm. But if you can really own the role that you play in it, my gosh, the gifts are just going to flood in towards you. And trust and surrender. You know, I know that's really hard to do when you really, really feel that you've been done a great injustice or that you've witnessed a huge betrayal of some sort to yourself or a family member or a young child. But, you know, if you can really, really go up higher and if you look down at earth from a bird's eye view and you remember that we are all souls who willingly put up our hands to come down to earth and play out certain roles and games and lessons so that we can all graduate through this earth school. And if you remember that as souls we come together into group consciousnesses and soul karmic contracts, group contracts, before we come down, we sit down at a big boardroom table with a legal list and a pen and we all sign our names on it and we say let's go down and you can be the pedophile and I'll be the, the child and I'll be the mother that runs off and this will be the, the priest or the counsellor and you know you, you all play a role in these big karmic soul lessons and every person gets their turn and that might mean that in this lifetime you're the victim because maybe last lifetime you were the pedophile and I know that that's a really confronting thing to say and I fully understand that that might tick some people off, particularly for things as sensitive as sexual abuse, which is what I'm talking about at the moment. But it might be something a lot lighter than that as well. It might be, well, 
you know, um, my brother bullied me from the age of zero to the age of 17 when I finally left home. Well, maybe in a past life you're in a bloody pirate ship and you bullied everyone, you know. Like, I just think as souls we need to understand both sides of the coin and we need to understand every emotion in the spectrum. And understanding the really painful, hurting, you know, types of feelings that come with trauma rounds you out as such a deeper, more compassionate soul with so much more empathy. And that was something I was going to say about 15 minutes back when we are talking about friends and that kind of thing, which is that I've got a theory that if somebody hasn't been through a trauma yet in their life, they often will find it very, very hard to relate to yours and they're not the people you go to. Yeah, that's true. We need to go with like attracting like, absolutely. Now, Beck, one of the things I want to do is um, get put up on our Facebook page, the Katie Byron Yes, uh, book. we will. All right, we'll put the link up for people to grab if they'd like to. Um, and our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash love life show. And that's all one word. So love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that this podcast was able to help you in some way or maybe pass it on to a friend if you feel that they need the assistance. Of course, we're here on the couch every Wednesday for free on thewellnesscouch.com. Join us again next week. And until next Wednesday, have a fabulous week. Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happy